ba 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 ba. You know what that is? Oh, that's the bird of salesmanship, my friend. Friendship, yes, but salesmanship too. That means Fat Kev Smith gonna try to sell you something right now, man. Oh, but I'm like a smooth. Ain't gonna hurt. It's feeling good. <laughs> um, hey man, guess what this week is? <laughs> I was getting way too into that. Um, it is Comic Con, bitches. This is the beginning of the geek year. You know, the start of the geek year, uh, for me, the calendar year begins in July because that's when Comic Con happens. Um, at San Diego Comic Con, I'm talking about Comic Con International at San Diego. Call it what you will. I call it Comic Con. People say it's not about communists, it's about comics. Say back the fuck off. Um, but I'm here to right now. I want to let you know some dates, man. Uh, what I'm going to be doing at Comic Con, where you can spy me, where you can see me, where you can lay your ears on me and stuff, and where you can hear us uh, record some uh, Smodco podcasts, like the one you're about to listen to for free. Okay, man. Comic Kev 2012. Thank you. Very cute. Comic Kev 2012, man, begins on. Uh, let's see for you guys. Friday. Friday, uh, uh, if, if you tune in, if you, even if you're not here, here's a free taste, man. You don't even have to be at Comic Con for this, man. Uh, tune in to Spike, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. They're going to do Comic Con All Access Live. And I'm going to be co-moderating the bonus round with Game Trailers guy, Jeff Keighley. So, uh, that'll be 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on Spike, Comic Con All Access Live coverage. You don't even need to be at Comic Con for that one. But if you are at Comic Con on Friday, let me let me tell you something, my friend. You want to get to the extra at Comic-Con stage. Awkward name. Excellent concept. Um, we're going to be doing Fat Man on Batman Live. Uh, Bruce Tim, bitches. I'm going to finally sit down with the guy who drew the animated DCU, the look of the animated DCU, the Batman, uh, the the Joker, the... The Harley that we've been talking about all this time that Paul Dini's told us about that, uh, all uh, the bad girl that Tara Strong told us about. We're going to meet the man, man, the talent that, uh, actually brought it to life. Cause it's not just voices, members, pictures, cartoons. And Bruce Tim is the master. And we're going to talk to him at 7 p.m. at night at the extra at Comic Con stage now. And I'm, we'll be doing it steps away from the Bat Cave. They're going to set up all six fucking Batmobiles on display. So if you don't want to look at Fat Kev Smith, look to the right. Ba-bang. Fucking Tumblr. My fucking Batmobile from the, from the Adam West Bill Dozier Batman. All the Batmobiles, man, on display. And this is at the extra Comic Con stage, which they're building on at Bayfront Park. And that's between the con itself, the building that holds the con, um, at the convention center and the Hilton Bayfront Hotel. That's where they're building that stage. 7 p.m. at night. It's free as fuck. Come on out. Watch me record Fat Man on Batman, man. It's going to be a good time. Okay. That's Friday. But what about Saturday at Comic Con? Well, come see me moderate a panel or moderate, if you will, uh, for epics, epics originals, man. I'm going to sit down and talk to William Shatner. That's right. Bill Shatner, man. Captain Kirk. Uh, who I talked to last year uh, at the Con 4 Epics as well. But this year, we're also going to be talking to Roger Corman, indie film fucking icon Roger Corman, man, uh, who's got a, a new flick that he's done for, for Epics. Uh, 4.15 to 5.15, Room 6A, man, come see that. Two legends and a fat piece of shit sitting between them trying to make with the funny. Uh, if you can't make that, then you must stake out some real estate for my annual Q&A at Hall H, man. 
7.15, uh, it's supposed to start, but I may have to push. You know, things always uh, run a little bit late at Comic-Con sometimes. Not always, but it happens. Some fat jackass like me takes the stage. Man, I won't let it up. That's why they put me on last. They're very smart. Um, 7.15 is the schedule, but it could start as late as 7.45. And that goes to 9.15. That's just me answering, doing my Q&A, state of the smunion, if you will. Uh, I got lots to share with you, including uh, the debut of Smarcade. Get ready for that, because holy fuck, it's going to come out of nowhere like a goddamn ninja. Slice your throat, and fun blood going to pour out. All Soak yourself in, you're going to be like, oh, I can't believe I like this so much, even though your throat's good. Boy, that metaphor really fell apart. What I'm getting at, though, is uh, just this simple, man. That, that, the, the smartcade is going to blow your hair back. And you didn't even, we haven't been talking about it. Ken Plume, fucking secret weapon, man, has built something amazing. And anyway, we're going to talk about that there. We're going to talk about comic book men. I'm bringing a clip from the comic book men, uh, to who say hi to San Diego. Uh, we'll talk about spoilers. We'll talk about this thing me and Ralph got going on. We'll talk about anything you want to talk about. Future hit somebody. Um, uh, view askew comics. Uh, oh crap, the list goes on. Smodco, all the Smodco stuff. Uh, be there, Hall H, man, 7.15 to 7.30 ish. Ends about 9.15. It's very adult, so expect a lot of cock talk. Um, and jokes about Thor's fucking hammer. A lot of Avengers material, but you know, we'll be right near Dark Knight, man, so I might throw some Bane shit in there. In any event, after that, Hollywood Babylon returns to San Diego Comic Con. We're going to be playing at the House of Blues, uh, and that's at doors at 11 o'clock. Show starts at midnight. That's me and Ralph Garman, man, uh, doing an all geeky version of Hollywood Babylon. Tickets at csmod.com. That's the first thing I'm throwing at you that, uh, you know, I'm saying, hey, you might have to pony up. You're definitely going to have to pony up, man. I ain't going to let you in for free. Tickets at csmod.com, S-E-E-S-M-O-D, uh, for Hollywood Babylon. At the House of Blues on Saturday at midnight. Doors open at 11. Okay. What if uh, you're even awake by 1 p.m. on Sunday? Then you want to roll up to room 6BCF at Comic-Con. And uh, you can watch me moderate the DC Nation screening and Q&A. They're going to be showing you all sorts of clips from the DC Nation stuff uh, they're doing over at the Cartoon Network. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce you to some cats and moderate and, and chit chat about the fucking eye pussy we're gonna see up on that screen. Now I don't know if you've seen any of this DC Nation stuff, but it's what we dreamed about forever when I was a kid. Like, oh, if only they would just use their stable of stars and make little cartoons and shit. They're doing it. The future is now. We're living in the Jetsons world. So there it is, man. That's my entire Comic Con schedule uh, as I know it. Check me out there uh, for for uh, any other information. Go to csmod.com for tickets, for Q&As and whatnot. The only thing on that list you need a ticket for, though, is Hollywood Babylon, as I said, on Saturday at midnight. Um, but go to smodcast.com, man, and check out uh, the new homepage. Lots of information there, and it's great portal, if you will, take you everywhere in the Smodco universe. Dropping this week podcast-wise, me and Moj doing Smodcast uh, uh, tonight, so that means you can... Hear it at any point this week. Uh, brand new Fat Man on Batman is going up uh, with a special guest, Walt Flanagan. Um, also this week, the first part of uh, Smoothie Maker's Penny Marshall interview, and it's fucking, it's orgasmic. Oh, fuck, it's good. 
So that's what you can look forward to. Don't forget all the shows on, on sit updated every damn day. Go to YouTube slash CSMOD. Watch all that stuff, man. Uh, for the podcast, go to smodcast.com. Look, go to smodcast.com. It'll direct you anywhere you want to go. There it is, man. I'm done, Horn. Without further ado, another fine Smodco podcast uh, for your listening pleasure. Hey, this is Jack Morrissey with Team Jack, episode 38, which I think we'll call Forever. And Matt, Matt Cohen, I want a period at the end of Forever, and if I don't get the period, you're going to get a text message. That was me saying aw, too, in like 18 different lady voices. I'm working on ventriloquism. That Terry Fatour guy is making too much money. <laughs> lady voices was the runner-up for the title of this episode. <laughs> um... This is me chewing a Kit Kat, which is Can no I way endorsed by I'll jump Summer in real Alliance quick. The, the period at the end of Forever yep. kills me because it makes it feel like the end, Jack. And let me just say there's a little something extra that you don't know about. Oh. And, yep, that's all I'm going to say. Oh. Forever with a period. Um, You're going to leave us hanging? Yeah. So he's cruel. Like all right, that. here we are, okay. practically live from San Diego Comic Con. Meet you in Market Cap. Practically live from San Diego Comic Con. It is Thursday afternoon, July what? July twelfth. We have all literally just come straight from Hall H in the San Diego Convention Center from the final. Uh, San Diego Comic-Con Twilight panel for uh, Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2, which uh, Team Jack is down here in support of, or we should say about two-thirds of Team Jack. 18. 18 out of 29. Correct. Right? Correct. Um, so uh, the details of the panel, will prob- they'll probably come up over the course of the hour, and you'll read... Blow by blows, I just got off the phone with um, my partner, Bill Condon, who directed this and part one, who's scoring part two in London, back at Abbey Road again with composer Carter Burwell. He's already reading stuff about the panel online that he was bouncing off me. And did it feel like this? And did did that play? Um, So as we do, even though this will be incredibly boring, here's this is will sort of be a good icebreaker as we do as we do at the beginning of most episodes of Team Jack will go around and anyone who's going to have a speaking voice during this uh, episode will just give their name. Uh, you can give your phony Twitter handle if you want to in lieu of your real name. All of these women out, most of whom have never been in a podcast are noticing that I'm like staring at the carpet. This is what I do. Um, but it's when I run on. Um, so give whatever kind of name you want to give, but then give your Twitter handle and then 
pass the mic and let's bang it out and we're gonna get right into it after that um matt cohen at camel toad on twitter uh jack morrissey jack underscore morrissey with two r's and two s's and also team underscore jack um i'll go right to sharon who is sharon lattice and at why between pass it tracy capaccia at tracy c25 this will get everybody used to talking on mic i'm miranda cool at miss miranda k i'm michelle tompkins at twilight cougar one I'm Christina at Ole Miss 549. Deanna at Deanna W. Campbell. This is Nancy. I'm SoCalMom24. This is Dina. I'm at Robstons underscore Ruby. Uh, this is Nicole. I'm 2Ps1Pod. This is Marisol at Marisol with a Y S O L S M. This is Tash at Tash Palo. This is Lori at GoTwy, and that's G-E-A-U-X-Twy. This is Kathleen at KBV, K-A-Y-B-E-E-V-E-E. And what about the lady off mic? Come on. Oh, You're in the room. She's shy. She's shy. <coughs> Hi, this is Michelle All Things H-H-H. Lastly, but Levin not least, Bennett. Liz yeah, Lemon yeah. Bennett back again along with Sharon Lotties. Um, make me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> now there's like 30 of them to do that. I, <laughs> I was know, right? so proud of her when she did that too. It's been, it's been a fun week. <laughs> okay, so um, I think, well, I'm not going to editorialize at all. So you've all just seen the first six or seven minutes of Breaking Dawn Part 2, and then an extra scene after that where Bella is about to uh, see her father, Charlie Swan, for the first time since uh, she was turned by Edward during childbirth. And uh, the Cullen clan gives her advice on how to appear uh, a little more like the old Kristen Stewartess, Bella Swan, uh, that we all know and love from the first four movies in the Twilight Saga. Um what did you guys just? What did you guys all think of the footage? And if you want to squee and fangirl and all that shit, that's fine too. But um, Bill Connor will probably be listening to this, so which doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about shit that bothered you or whatever. But um, anyway, Sharon. All right, I'm gonna go two honest points. I'll start with my favorite was the Bella getting ready to meet Charlie. That perfect perfection. Right. I think one of my biggest worries going into this movie is how how do you portray her as a vampire? Is she going to look different enough? Is she going to act different enough? Is it going to be believable that she's made the change? And right. oh my God, you can see the difference. You can feel the difference. You don't even question that that is vampire Bella. Yeah. And I love that. Awesome. What's your second point? The first, the first part. And I don't know, this might have just been the adrenaline of Uh being there and watching it just felt too fast for me. Oh, really? It just went scene, 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 scene. And just felt a little too fast for me. So, hi, Bill. Well, (laughs) (laughs) you only have about 250 more viewings to get used to it. And believe me, having seen (laughs) endless working cuts of this in progress, it will slow down for you. Okay, great. Once you get used to it. You want to pass it? 
Um, I think that the opening scene was just breathtaking. Uh, the attention to detail. Um, I do agree with, with Sharon, though. I do feel that it really was, you know, scene, scene, scene. Um, but yeah, I just, I think it was just breathtaking. I want to add a quick note in there. Okay, a quick note only because now that I think about it, because I've got a little food in me and I'm thinking clear. Within the last 30 seconds, you've yes, got a little shut food up. in you. Okay. I popped a chocolate-covered peanut. Um, it's fast because she's a vampire now. <laughs> Moving on. I just wanted to say that I was really moved by Edward and Bella and the way they saw each other at first and yeah. the way that Bill showed the details of of uh, the things that she was seeing. It was right. so beautiful. I love that. The dust floating in the air. Well, I like how I they go from that. the hand, like they go up the arm. You know, that very, very touches. long shot yeah, where she's touching you see him. Bella. Yes, yeah. that's beautiful. They both I know, just I love look that so shot beautiful. It's so elegantly and it's just designed. Intense, emotional, everything. Love it. Totally. I just have to say that I fucking love Bill, and every <laughs> expectation so far has been covered. Great job. Thanks, Christina. I would so right now give Kristen an Oscar award <laughs> for the hunt scene. Oh my God, when she spotted that climber. Wow, yeah. she was so convincing. Oh my God, I was blown away. She wanted him so badly. And the look on her face, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, I thought the decision to show the first seven minutes of the film was um, amazing. To not right. just see little flashes, right. but to actually get to start to feel that experience right. was an incredible decision. Um, right. I think this whole Comic-Con experience has been, from both Summit and from what Bill gave us today, um, as a fan, it's just been knocked out of the park. It, it's just been Good. amazing. Totally Good. Yeah, really awesome. Amazing. Awesome. Uh-oh. Okay, so Marisol, is st it's official. Marisol has started crying. <laughs> My favorite part was that one part where Marisol started crying. <laughs> and the sparkly vampires, I'm not going to lie. I really like making people cry. People here know that that's what I do. So. Yes. Yes. Get <laughs> it. Marisol, Marisol will take a moment before speaking. I love Bill Bill's intro. I thought it was really special. He just knows how much everything means to the fans and knowing that it's the last one, full circle, everything. He is. Right. He's just, we love him. We love him. Shot at the Covenant. Can we Garden give Bill an Oscar for intros as well as trailers and teasers? <laughs> I was so excited when all I heard was, you're going to see the first seven minutes of Breaking Dawn 2. And I just went, that was all I tweeted for like an hour. I just kept. <laughs> Anyone else? Can I just say that the surprise exactly. that they did at camp last night was amazing. All of the people that came, that was so unexpected. Yeah, when you look, when so you watch the um, the one of the doors from Hall H open, and suddenly out out came like two hundred fifty people, all dressed in black, more or less. Every cast member, almost all of the Collins, the new Covens. What's up? Oh, I love the spider shot. This yeah. Yes. And its web. Yes. And it was amazing. The Bella sees in the forest as she's yes. racing off. I loved Edward grabbing her, and he's she's stronger than him. Right. Perfect. That was really great. And right. I also loved the questions at Comic Con this year. I thought they were smart. 
and I loved all the children that were the children were cute. cute. There was nothing too embarrassing, so I appreciated that. Right, <laughs> I agree. That was a big improvement off of last year's <laughs> panel. Anyone else who did not get in with like the in, the initial weigh in? I just want to say I really enjoyed seeing Eric up on stage. Eric Odom for yes. the win. Yes. At Eric Odom, who hopefully will be joining us after he finishes signing autographs at the Summit booth on the exhibit hall floor. Um, We're holding. Sasha. Cash for the win. Okay, so I loved where it started. How it was like, I don't know if we're supposed to say or not, but I like where it started. <laughs> with her <laughs> eyes opening. Yes, so it starts exactly where it left off. And so, right. I, so it's a complete continuation because you know we're going to watch it together. So right. just keep going. Yeah. Right. right. And Bill said that before. Um, choke. How does it, I, it? It's weird. It's like the panel just ended like an hour ago, and as you're walking over, you're sort of so busy getting across the light rail tracks and all that, you don't really stop to think all that much about the fact that that, that was it for Twilight at Comic-Con. I mean, that was it. The Summit mm-hmm. booth will be open on the exhibit hall floor through the closing bell on Sunday afternoon. But, I mean, that's it. Thankfully, we still have Ten City in the premiere in mid-November and well, one presumes Los Angeles. I don't think we've announced or finalized anything yet, but... Um, so there's, you know, there's once more onto the breach. But I mean, how many of you have come for? How many of, how many of you, if you just want to like speak up, is have come for the first time? I know, Dawn, this is your first Comic Con, Tash. Wow, it's like most of you. And did you come because you knew this was it? That was like your last shot to attend a Comic Con panel and see. Yeah, yeah. Kristen, Rob, definitely. Taylor, um, definitely was the reason that I chose to come was because. Being a new Twilight fan, I haven't, it's been about two years since I started watching Twilight and seeing what happened last year, I just knew that this year I had to be here. And how did you find out what happened last year through watching videos um, on YouTube? I was at work. I just happened to be on my lunch break and someone was live blogging it. Right. So it wasn't video. It was you were reading everything that was right. happening. Minute to minute yeah, updates minute to of minute what was going updates. on in Hall H. Yep. Cavernous and, Hall H. Yep. And then of course seeing the pictures and hearing everybody's reactions and right. you know I was following Sharon um, been following her before Comic Con. I know some were following her because right. of Comic Con and right. um, because of the experience with Breaking Dawn um, Tent City in LA I just I knew I had to share this with the other girls as well. Right. I just want to say that every time they say forever, I want to cry because <laughs> it doesn't get to be forever. And that whole idea yeah. to using that as a tagline or as this, I, I just. But the novels and the movies are forever. And yes. your own ex, your own personal experience. Of I think I'll always live discovering in those characters through the novels and then the way that they were, those characters have all been realized in the movies. Marisol has just gone through like my entire <laughs> box of I'm about to need a couple of those tissues. myself over here. Yeah. Are we? <laughs> Toilet paper for Stephanie the win. Stephanie Meyer was there at the surprise On last the panel. night too. Well, in the panel, but at the and right at the fan event last night in her, line. I think, you know, anytime anybody sees any of the the cast, it's always we love you, Rob, we love you whoever. Right. Whenever we see Stephanie, it's thank you, Stephanie. Right. Yeah, Every I heard that time. too. Every time, and it's for a reason. It's thank you, Stephanie. I mean, 
without her, none of this. Without that simple elemental idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The dream. The reason here. Right. Well, it's kind of amazing. I think we all are very familiar with pictures of the cast from past Comic-Cons. And to see them all up there, kind of what Nikki said during the panel, that they've all grown up. And they all look so different from the little kids they were as at the first one. Um, what's kind of neat is that I think we'd all agree that this has changed our lives. And when you think of it from their perspective and you realize how much it's changed their lives, um, it's kind of this neat bonding experience, I think. To be. Let me ask you this question. So there's been a lot of um, conversation across pretty much every channel that we have available to us. Personal channels when you're out to dinner with people, but also magazines, TV shows, um, talk shows, etc., about the effect of Fifty Shades of Grey on, I'm going there, women's erotic lives, right? <laughs> so when you talk about how Twilight has affected you or changed you, um, staying for the moment off the subject of how the experience of being a Twilight fan or a so-called Twihard has changed or affected you or part of this fandom family of Twihards, how has, what's the specific effect that the novels and then the movies made from those novels have had on you? Twilight specifically, not Twilight fandom. I'm just curious. Has it improved your sex life? Okay, we can go there. (laughs) (laughs) Are you listening? Well, Um, no. The odds of anyone actually picking out which voice is yours after your introduction are, are, are not high. So, okay, yes. um, I guess it's hard for me to separate the movies and the book from the fandom at this point. Like, right. it, it all feels it all um, runs together. It all runs together, and I think what's oh, I'm going to make her cry more. Um, right. And you've talked about this in the past, and and Summit has clearly gotten this. That is this group experience for us, right? And um, a mean, group that loves to be together, whether or not there's an yes, actor there, whether or not there's a convention and serving as a backdrop for it. Something in that original book or something in the original movie brought us to this insanity, right? Um, but we all keep each other together. It's it's meeting. There's women in this room who span thirty years in age, and we would never have met each other in right. real life. There right. are. We're from all different walks of life. Most of you have met each other, for, at least for the first time, online. Right. Before maybe migrating right. to uh, phone calls and then ultimately meeting up at maybe local or regional events before coming to a, you know, the biggest uh, genre convention in any given calendar year, San Diego Comic Con, which became a big twihard event, I think, mostly with New Moon. Yeah. Right? And That's where really, really the tipping point gone, was. Right? What's that? Are all the regulars going to be really glad when we're gone next year? I mean, it's okay speaking honest. as a regular, this is my 10th consecutive Comic-Con. I think some... Yeah, you're going to be glad, Matt Cohen? I mean, it does, there is a larger percentage of female fans attending now, so that is a, a bonus, I guess. Uh, for straight people like you. For, for, for the breeders out there like me. Dirty, dirty breeders. Um... I think I think just for the for the pure, if you want to go the opposite spectrum for the pure geek geek geeks I think any move away from movies and TV and back towards comics a little bit would be seen as as a good well, thing at this point yeah yeah because it's basically cinema con. But, right. oh, next year. 
There's no comics on the floor except Artist Alley, and that's a tiny little thing. So. Am I sorry? Am I wrong in saying it just seems like marketing and the way it's going, like Comic Con is so huge? Aren't more and more movies opposite? This year is the lightest year in terms of really? uh, okay. studio attendance. Yeah, which is why so many TV shows are um, in Hall H in the cavernous Hall H. Which does anybody know? It, it seats somewhere between five and seven thousand fans, right? 6,500 fans. And today, we were packed. I don't think there was an empty seat in the entire hall, which is awesome. And definitely a kind of bump up from last year when there were at least a few hundred empty seats in the back of the hall. And I'm going to say, I just live in Orange County. I had never heard of Comic-Con before. Really? 2008. Never. Really? Never, never, never. And you never. only heard about Comic-Con because of Twilight? Yeah, I the came The Twilight in, Presence? I came in 09. I did. I was here for the New Moon panel uh-huh. in 09, and uh, it was good. They're laughing at me. Why? Hello? Because we have to say there's a lot of things that Nancy had never heard of before. Uh, hey I've, I've been changed. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I've never read, read uh, fan fiction before. So Right. But no, Twilight, I relate Twilight, going back to that, when I read the book, I have four kids, and I relate it to, um, like, going to the park and meeting moms, and you share that common bond, because you're like, oh, you have children, and it's like, oh, you've read Twilight, and then it's immediately, and then from there, a friendship grows, and you just have this commonality, and it's like, then it goes beyond that, well, what what are your other interests, you know, and things like that, but I mean, seriously, I can tell you, I love every single one of these women, and men, Matt, you too, oh, in this room. <laughs> and uh, Matt, you have beautiful eyes, by the way. But, uh, but no, stole I just... I stole them from some poor schmuck. <laughs> anyway, this has just been such a special um, experience, part of my life, and I'll never forget it. And I know it's not going to stop, so it's okay. I'm not going to cry. And um, it's been an adventure, and I just feel very honored to be here. Thanks. I was struck by the fact on the fact on that uh, a number of fans who lined up to ask questions of the um of stephanie and the cast today on the panel were like little kids because i think there's definitely there was the initial cultural perception of twilight was that it was sort of for teenage girls only and then the twilight mom phenomenon which was such a big idea um, and was covered, I think, exhaustively on TV news magazines like 2020 or um, Oprah, uh, that that sort of shifted the the whole cultural perception that suddenly most twihards were, in fact, not teenage girls, that somehow they jumped from teenage girls to 35-year-old women in just two years. So it was interesting seeing that there was another... There's like a new fresh wave of the fandom that's coming up um, that seems to be like, again, 10, 11, 12-year-old girls who are asking some of these questions today. So since we know that you've seen this numerous times now, you've seen the whole thing. I have. Should these little girls be watching this version of the movie? Um, we're asking for hints as to how steamy it's going to be, but yes, that's what we're asking. well, (laughs) Well, that's an interesting question. How... In that Twilight is arguably one of the great, certainly, I well, I'm I'm not even remotely equipped to to uh, characterize it as one of the great fictional romances of all time between Bella and Edward. But 
as a movie franchise, there's absolutely no precedent or compare for a franchise that has had such cultural impact and such um, unbelievably intense and passionate fandom and uh, massive worldwide revenues from uh, theatrical box office as well as home video. Um, there's there's no compare. So the question I would throw back to you is, what's how? What's the youngest that an audience member should be before they're allowed to watch part one with the honeymoon scene? Answers? You can just shout them out. Well, how many scenes did the kid? What's that? Depends on every kid is different. Right. So, I mean, some may be able to handle it. I mean, I don't mean handle it. That's not the right word. I don't mean handle it, but... I don't know. It just, I think that's, uh, depends on how old the kid is. Cause I'm, there's, okay, there's some 11 year olds that would be fine and some of them just, they just, yeah. So I don't know. I'm going to jump in I here know. just because, sorry, just the whole thing. Cause I have the 12 and 14 and 16 year old girls and the first daughter, the oldest one was the one that kind of brought it into the house, Twilight. Right. But by the time my second daughter started reading it, I let her read the first three. But at the same time, knowing that the sex scene and what happens in the first part of Breaking Dawn, they are married. And the whole idea of the books and abstaining and being together and how much he loves her. But again, I thought when my oldest daughter read it, she got it. She felt the love between Edward and Bella. And that was like, I could tell that she got it. But my other daughter, she was a year younger it wasn't there. She didn't get that. So then I thought, I didn't want, I just said, uh, she wasn't ready f- to read uh, Breaking Dawn. By the time she was ready, I'm like, yeah, you can read it now. She goes, no, reading The Hunger Games now. That was it. Okay, I so, want to. What's funny is I, my mom gave me the Witching Hour series to read when I was like 11, and 15 pages in, there were blowjobs. And I was like, mom, you're <laughs> weird. <laughs> but I read it. I read them. Okay, so I just want to add. You have to keep in mind, though, those books, the sex scene is pretty much fade to black. Nothing happens. I think it all happens in our head because people get all riled up and like nothing happens. And that's why, let's face it, that's why we read fanfic. I was just going to say. So something will happen. And the movies are no worse than what you see on TV anyway. So I guess what I'm saying is I felt like Bill, I think we all felt like Bill pushed the envelope of PG-13 as far as he possibly could. Thank you very much, Bill. Right. Are we going to get that again in part two is what I'm saying. I would say... And again, I mean, we're on air and all this stuff, but it's like part two, part two and part one are such different animals as movies. Tonally, they're very, very different. Um, there's a lot more uh, in part two for your husband's uh, brother's boyfriends to be interested in, similar to Eclipse, except in Eclipse. With the um, climactic battle between the wolf pack and wolf form and uh, Victoria's newborns, I think that action sequence, somebody timed that action sequence, and that entire attack is literally about 73 seconds long on film. Needless to say, part of what goes on in this movie is considerably longer, but will be just as interesting to the men in your lives. Um, as regards the question of the tone as reflected in the rating that the movie gets by the uh, Motion Picture Association of America who can, who uh, 
has the ratings for it. It'll be it's it's a PG thirteen, and um, will it you know will it push the boundaries of PG of a PG thirteen movie? The interesting question there is when you go back and look at the very very first movie that itself led to the creation of the PG thirteen rating, which is Steven Spielberg's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and you look at the uh, ingredients that led the ingredients in that picture that led to the creation of that rating, which inc- which include and are not limited to child slavery um, and uh, an innocent man having his beating heart ripped out of his chest, held up in front of his still living, unbelieving eyes before he is lowered into a pit of fire still living as he watches as he watches the cage on which he's he's been strapped face down get nearer and nearer the flames and his own incineration like when you look back at what what um what constituted the very first PG13 in 1984 I think it's crazy how in a way so uh, intense that movie is versus the PG-13 that any of the uh, Twilight installments have gotten, you know? So will will the envelope be pushed in Breaking Dawn? I mean, it, probably in the same way that it was pushed in Part 1. Are you going to be happy with what we're sort of indirectly talking about? Yes. <laughs> Which is uh, Bella and Edward's uh, first experience together in the cottage. Yes, you'll be happy. Vamp sex. You'll be happy with that. They break. We're hoping they break the Come house. Come on, Matt or... Cohen. <laughs> Come on, Matt. That's the other book I'm wrong. No, she's That's right. a headboard. No, Matt Cohen. That's a headboard. That's not a spine. Giving birth. Does there that. we go. I not... knew she got paralyzed at some point. I've read none of them. <laughs> so jack being the oldest one of the oldest in the room i have to say my daughter's all grown up and um how old is things, she she's 29 okay okay and um one of the things i love about bella and what has been shown in the movies is that she's the sexual aggressor right and i love that aspect because i think that's one of the things that uh has shocked people right is fan fiction is about us you know, wanting to, re- we like to read sex, Matt. We don't like to watch it. Okay. Oh, oh see, that's just something that's that. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, um. You have imagination? <laughs> <laughs> so I just think that's one of my favorite things is every time the sex thing comes up in these movies, it's always Bella wanting to have sex. And I right. love that because it's like saying women have desires to have sex. Absolutely. And I just love that. And so I think it's a good thing if, if I, my daughter was younger. I would not have a problem with her seeing these because it's it's about sexual freedom. Genuine genuine question. And going back to Fifty Shades, uh, whereas that seems the female character is very submissive in that book, mm-hmm. Bella is dominant in the Twilight books. Uh, would you say she's more wanting to express her sexuality with Edward than Edward does with her until she, they get married? Okay. Well, no, it's not that Edward doesn't want to. No, he's he wants to. to. I use the wrong it's word. That he's scared to, and she's like, "I don't care. Let's do it anyway." Right. And he's like, "No, no, no." Um, Michelle, were you going to the difference? Uh, the difference that vampirism makes in an erotic encounter. 
Absolutely. Is that where you were moving toward? I would go there in a minute. Well, someone, <laughs> someone who, uh, for the first three novels, or you could say the the first three novels and the first half of novel four, which is Breaking Dawn, um, and for the first four movies has always been, as you would say, the erotic aggressor. Yes, once she's once she's turned, she becomes even more so. Right. right? So, I love that, and yeah. it was really shown, by the way, full circle in what we got to see. Right. Just even the hugging is aggressive. She's it's the such one a funny moment, isn't it? It's so. It's also brilliant. a nice moment when she walks toward the mirror with Edward standing behind her yeah. and actually beholds herself for the first time, having come back from death um, and sees what uh, she looks like as a Cullen. Right. Now. And the other full circle thing for me is that with the books, they changed. They changed my life, and. I can't even describe. Um, I really feel like I had lost. Oh, God, I'm not going to cry. I had lost my girlfriends. I spent too much time working and not doing creativity and not spending time with girlfriends and not doing stuff I wanted. And I got so into this, the book. I loved it so much that I started thinking about I wanted to write. I wanted to do something creative. It bred this need in me to be more passionate in my life in all areas including the sex my husband will tell you that the only reason he puts up with this he's gonna hear this is because of the benefits <laughs> and i and it's just a i would i would boil it all down to passion i have become more passionate because i read these books i was just gonna mention i love the humor fact too um you know when uh <laughs> bella hugged Edward there for the first time and nearly broke his back. And when she smelled Jacob for the first time, that was just absolutely hilarious. And to hear the whole, <laughs> to hear the whole, the center just crack up laughing like that, that was, that was incredible. It was totally awesome. It was awesome for me too. And, uh, Bill's, uh, editor, who is a woman, uh, Virginia Katz, Jenny Katz, who's cut every movie, uh, Bill's ever directed since she was the associate editor on his first feature, Sister Sister. Um, super, um, super enjoyable for Jenny and her associate Ian Slater, who's actually getting an uh, an editing credit on part two, um, to sit in an audience of sixty five hundred people and hear people reacting to these emotional moments that they're they've been they've gotten so used to in you know the relative isolation of uh an avid editing suite in the editing room um and to to um finally expose those moments to an audience that is so unbelievably receptive to those moments coming out of those characters i think like in incredibly gratifying for them and it's a total bummer that uh total bummer that bill is in london and not there i thought stephanie was really super sweet with her i think the very first thing that was said on the panel was stephanie talking about after the clip was shown was stephanie talking about how she wished that you know bill could have been there to to see and hear and feel the reaction around him um he's always weird and nervous and anxiety driven with his movies generally speaking in terms of you know, are those moments that are that are sometimes designed and sometimes found in the post-production process in the actual 
footage that was shot and in the process of putting that footage together and shaping it and fine-tuning it, are those moments going to land as fully and as meaningfully as you hope that they will? Um, I think that certainly as compared to other movies that he's made, uh, Dreamgirls or Gods and Monsters, where maybe he's more familiar with the... Um, the genres of the genre of movie musicals as a huge uh, fanatic of movie musicals or um, smaller dramas. He approaches twi- he has approached Twilight with the same intensity that he's approached those uh, every other movie that, in his career that he's directed. But it's a little more. It's been a while since he's worked in that milieu, and certainly the terrain he didn't read. Uh, you know, before being offered the opportunity to to direct Breaking Dawn Parts 1 and 2. He hadn't read any of the Twilight novels, so he's sort of extra anxious, extra insecure, extra nervous, and uh, until, you know, you get the warm bath that is the premiere at the Nokia or whatever, where last fall 5,000 of you were in the balcony and suddenly, like, giving it up. And for the first... So it's like you... These movies come together in a relative vacuum, and then the first time you actually see them playing in front of a, a living, breathing, spontaneous, chaotic audience, albeit one that's unbelievably ready to receive it, it's like 6,500 of you. I mean, it's it's always huge, you know? So um, I can't wait for for you guys to see the rest of it, you know? I mean, that and just the process of being with you guys, it actually occurred to me today... I, I asked Sharon to save me a seat, and I ended up sitting next to a reporter. But uh, I definitely want to, uh, in the Nokia for part one, I stood about halfway up the house and just stood in like literally one of the giant um, exit lanes that empty out the orchestra and rocked back and forth and um, just watched the movie and listened to the audience react and stuff. I think Bill was sitting through most of the movie. But this year, definitely, it's, you know, depending on how it all comes down and stuff, I want an empty seat somewhere that I can get in and out of with the fandom just to like experience that one last time because uh, you know there are twists and turns of plenty and surprises in, in store for all of you and it's going to be like a great send off it's going to be a great send off so what do you guys and anything that we've brought up or, or discussed we can certainly jump back to if, if you guys have other thoughts and stuff and I don't I have no no idea where we're only 40 minutes in anyway but i'm just curious how will you you know as i was faced with the same issue when ron moore announced that he was bringing his reimagining of battlestar galactica to a close uh with a fourth season how do you start to think about um what the what's going to happen over the next five and a half months as we get nearer to the end and get nearer to the release of the final movie. Um, and then what role do you see these novels and these movies playing in the rest of your lives? I mean, a lot of people usually move on to, to other, uh, fiction series or other movies that they get interested in or, or, uh, TV series in the case of, for instance, game of Thrones. But how do you see twilight, um, sticking around and resonating and um, as the head of marketing for Summit, Nancy Kirkpatrick once said to me, I think she was talking about like 
the notebook or a Nicholas, uh, one of those movies based on a Nicholas Sparks novel. It's like, it's like those movies, you know, you're home on a Saturday afternoon doing some chores or whatever, and it comes on HBO and you just leave it on and listen to it as you move around your living room and in and out of your kitchen. How do you all see, um, twilight staying in your lives? Um, forever. Just like you said, though, it's just like you read a Twitter feed every now and again. You can jump on any time, any day. There's somebody saying, oh, I'm watching Twilight right now. I'm watching New Moon right now. Or they'll describe a scene or they'll say a sentence from the, you know, a movie. It's it's like to spark something immediately. So I just think it will be like just what you said. It'll be like the notebook. It'll be like something. It'll just be um, a special time in our lives, obviously. But just these movies will just immediately click if we'll hear the soundtrack or the opening credits or something it'll immediately just take us back to all of this and just this i mean i want to call it closure just this i mean what happened last night was probably one of the most amazing experiences i think that any of us as fans will ever have well i'm shouting at you it's just to make sure that i heard more clearly on your microphone even though they're Okay. Other microphones that are much nearer me. Anyway, um, obviously, rumor came out um, like Monday morning on Twitter and said like the surprise would be coming like you know at, um, at the line probably you know um, Wednesday evening and not knowing what or who's coming and whatever. But to all of a sudden, you know, literally, Twilight Lexicon was standing next to us and she said the number twenty eight and it's like excuse me and it's like. Then you see them parade down. And I my jaw dropped. Led it was by just Eric like Odom. It was unbelievable. And just just to be there and then to also get to meet all of the new vampires and to talk to them. They were so sincere, so grateful, so appreciative. What an amazing ride they're having, you know, and to be there with all of us, knowing what it means to us. And then of God bless Stephanie Meyer again, back to her. That woman stayed there. I'm like, she was there, I don't even know, a good hour and a half. She went to every single person, down, up and down the rows. She was unbelievable. She had not been to San Diego Comic-Con since Twilight. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, anyway, I just thought, again, she knows, she gets it. She, the, she wrote this story, you know, from a dream, the whole thing. And all of us are still here, how many years later? And it's just... It was a gift to us, you know, and we, like we said, Sharon said it exactly. When you see Stephanie, you just say thank you. I told her at the premiere, I just said, we're here because of you. And I just said, I just want to thank you. And so going back to the legacy thing, though, um, what do you think will have the bigger impact over time, the books or the films? Like in 100 years, will people be reading Twilight or watching Twilight or, or, or neither? You know what I mean? I like, think it goes hand in hand. I, I, I don't think... Except for the one freak on the team. I don't think that would be... Uh, yeah, well, my dar- our darling Miranda has not read the books. Um, you just got outed. You just I got outed. outed her. She's going to hate me. I need to Listen, explain something. Go ahead. Go, go, go. Explain. Yeah. I always prefer to watch the movie first and then read the books because... And that's with all films. And when I first saw Twilight, it impacted me so much. And then all of my friends said that Twilight wasn't very good and that the books were so much better. And then I learned that there were more movies coming out. So I decided to wait. And it's been very difficult. And I've cheated a lot and read snippets. Um, But another 
real reason too is that after this is all over, I have something to look forward to, and it's going to lessen the depression. And to be honest, now I'm totally jealous of her for that because the rest of us will be bawling our eyes out because we have nothing to look forward to and she gets to re-experience it. Why do you like to watch the movies first? Because that's typically the opposite because people like to create their own characters in their heads. Otherwise, you're stuck with uh, Kristen Stewart and Rob Pattinson and all that. You know what I mean? Which I'm sure isn't a bad thing for you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Saddled with those two. Saddled with. With Rob Pattinson. Michelle is more comfortable with saddled with. I think that if if I read the books first, sometimes it's not what I expect when I watch it on film and I'm more disappointed. Um, And sometimes they leave out scenes that I want to see and stuff. I'd rather watch the movie and have a general idea and then go back and all these surprises come up and it, like, I get so much more out of it, I think. That's cool. I might be be odd, though. No, that makes sense. (laughs) Because only... The end of it made sense because there's so much more content in the book that like you're getting three times. If you love this thing so much, you then get to go discover like a lot more of it. Uh, so it's, like, I guess it. so See, it's I, like pleasantly surprised instead of disappointed in little aspects. See, I watched Twilight first and then I was told to read the books. I put on a Facebook status that, oh, I just watched Twilight and I'll watch the other movies, but I won't get hooked. Yeah, well, we know what happened after that. Um, but um, I just remember being, you know, and I would make Facebook statuses be like, oh, I'm on this chapter of New Moon or I'm on this, you know, an eclipse. And I had to put Breaking Dawn down when this happened. And I just remember having friends saying they wished that they could go back and reread these books. To that end, and from hopefully from some of us who have not done a very good job of representing themselves and their opinions on this podcast to this point, I'm looking at you. Uh, I'm looking at you, Lori. Um, what, what scene or scenes from any of the four Twilight novels do you wish had made it into the, not you, Sharon, not you, had made it into uh, any of the feature films made from those novels and didn't. I don't really. I don't. I gotta think about this one. Dina, I know in Twilight the blood, the typing, the blood typing scene. Blood typing, blood typing. That that was just a huge moment. Say in New Moon, I guess I was looking forward to the whole after the Volturi, yeah, the, yes. airplane the airplane ride home, ride. yeah, you know, or things no, like that. Yeah. And also, I guess I in New Moon, I was also looking forward to Bella going to the Cullen House and yes. finding it abandoned and, and you know, yeah. things like that. There's always, yes. you know, and everybody knows, there's always that one scene that you're like, you you know you wish was in the movie and I've read books before I've gone to see movies and there have been scenes that I'm like oh I want to see this scene and I not to name the movie but Devil's Wear Wears Prada I really wanted to see I know I know but still I don't know there was this one scene I know I know <laughs> but. There was one scene, there, but there's one scene in the, in the end, and you just, you want to see the character, and I'm sorry, I can't think of her name, but who Anne Hathaway played, basically tell off, you know, Miranda, you know, and I was, you know, I was kind of 
bummed when I walked out of the theater and was like, I really wanted to see that scene. You know, so, I mean, it's the same, you know, and it goes back to everything can't be included, I know. It's got to be really hard to be in the screenwriter's shoes. I I mean, Melissa had to have a pretty hard job with that. Rosenberg. Who's adapted four novels novels into screenplays. Correct. For the record, I don't think, and I don't know that this is unanimous necessarily, but I don't think there was anything in part one that was glaringly missing for me. Breaking down part. Yes. I agree. Everybody? Any, anything? Except the dog. You know what? I was okay I without... Yeah. I didn't feel like... Here's the thing. I didn't feel like it being missing hurt the movie for me. Mm-hmm. And there are... In other films, there are things that are missing that it, it hurt the movie for me. And I was like, okay, well, now I just... I don't want to watch it because you made me angry. I, and that wasn't a problem in... I was just going to add to that. Oh my God! You know, again, God bless Bill Condon. Um, God bless I've, Bill Condon. I've got to say, God bless Isle Esme is the best fade to black I could have ever hoped for. That was how about amazing. The, how about the Keep fade up from black to the morning after? When you think, yeah, that was that's yeah. all you got. That's all you got. And after the MPAA, then that's come. all you are ever going to get. And then suddenly she steps up to the sink beautiful, and the starts to she, think back to the I night before. And suddenly you're getting more. You know what I do? I'm at home. Oh, no. <laughs> Nancy, give the mic to someone else. No. Um, and, you know, that was one of the very first... That was one of the very first concepts he came up with that, uh, you know, has probably been done in some film somewhere before in the hundred plus year history of movies or whatever. But I can't think of an example, and I don't think he can either, where you actually see a character think back to, you know, the night before and everything that went down the night before romantically and erotically. What's that? Does it happen in Cold Mountain? Oh, really? Well, he just stole it from Cold Mountain. (laughs) But that was an interesting way to come at something that he knew carried so much expectation with it was, how are you going to handle Bella and Edward's honeymoon night? And it's like, and I think you'll see a bit of this in part two as well. It's like, you want the audience, especially the Twilight audience, again, so passionate and so obsessed to be more than happy with the way things are handled, with the, way, with the way that things are interpreted and dramatized. But do we have to interpret and dramatize that, all of it, in a straightforward way that doesn't surprise you? So you're in for some, so you've, you've had some surprises in part one and you're in for a few more surprises. You're, I think you'll get exactly what you hope to get but not quite in the way that you think you're going to get it. To me, that scene was what's beautiful about the difference between the written word and a visual representation of it, taking a total different spin on it. When she started to touch herself, which is, let's just mention, she's touching herself, which is sexual in its own way, and she's remembering But let's be specific. She's uh, Sadly, Matt, her... Her jawline and then her lips. She was touching the areas that had been kissed and caressed. Right. And I thought he really was pushing that BG <laughs> No. But I just thought it was, that's one of my favorite things from that movie. Right. And then, the, well, obviously, the other six. All right, the other six. An amazing piece of music underneath that, too. I, I think what's been amazing about 
about Bill's take on all of this is that he's gotten more than his predecessors, that, that it's more than just a love story and more than just an action. It's He's focused on Bella. Right. And I, I, you asked earlier, how has this changed our lives? Um, I think pop culture likes to think of Bella as this weak, male-dependent character. I think everyone in this room would say the exact opposite, that for us, Bella is this very empowering character, and it's gotten us in touch with being more empowered women. Um, I think Bill gets that. I think he sees that we're seeing this through her eyes, and he very right. much gave us that in part one. Um, right. And from what we saw today, is is going to give it to us again in part two. So I, he he gets the book's in a way that um, I, no one other than fans has gotten in the past. Like he, he just right. gets us, I guess right. is what I'm trying right. to say. Well, that's it's awesome. Cool. Cause I don't think he's, he's never really, I mean, obviously there's always a dialogue with summit and uh, everyone's very aware of certain expectations that the fandom has in terms of um, what they really want to see uh, um, and how they really want to see it and stuff. But he, I don't think that he's really made, really any choices that I can remember literally just for just to appease the fandom. I mean, it's always got to serve the story, you know? So the wedding ring. Oh, well the, but that's not a real creative choice. That's just a, like a, a blooper almost. Um, what scenes again, for those who have not spoken so much, what scenes, um, Sharon, stop it. <laughs> um, what scenes have uh, surpassed across the the um, four and now almost five movies of the saga? What scenes have surpassed in film uh, the way that you'd envisioned them when you read and reread and reread and reread them in the in Stephanie's novels? Well, I personally think that the uh, the wedding scene he as when I read it, I had this picture in my head that just seemed to come to life right. as I read it and would go back and reread it. And he seemed to be able to read my mind and take that piece from the book and bring it to life in a way that... And in your mind, did you have the wedding set in the backyard as opposed to inside the house? No, not necessarily as opposed to outside or indoors. Just right. the romantic setting and the uh, the nervousness of, of Bella and keeping her separate from... Edward until that last possible moment because in the book it just seems to build and build until you're like they finally see each other and right. in your mind you wonder how far apart are they oh they it, it's it's like she turned a corner and there he is but she's had this long road that she walked right to get to him and it right. kind of if you think about it four books is a long road but the actual wedding scene was a long road right in the book and right. Bill was able to capture that. And so when I was watching it the first time, I felt like I was in the audience and I felt like I was there with her when she was fixing her hair beforehand. And I felt right. like I was sitting right there crying with her and her parents and in experiencing it. And he put what I envisioned in my head up on the big screen. Right. And right. I was out of all the scenes in all the books, that was the one I was worried about the most. Right. How are they going to make the wedding come to life the way I envisioned it as I was reading right. it? Right. And I'm not sure if anyone else could have done that. Maybe they could, maybe they couldn't have. Right. But well, we'll never know. Bill just did it. Right. 
and and I will never be able to watch that scene without reliving the way I felt when I read the book. Right. If that makes any sense. Sure. And here's an here's an interesting um, production story around that subject is when you hear what for me has become the really the signature song of Breaking Down Part One, but also I think in a way sort of one of the great songs to come out of the the um, unbelievably strong soundtrack albums that uh, the first three movies had as well is uh, Christina, uh, you know, fellow Twihard, Christina Perry's A Thousand Years. The interesting thing about that song that I'll tell you, and I don't know whether she said this in any of her countless interviews because I, I'm 45 years old and I only have so much life left of me so I can't read all of Christina Perry's interviews, but we know she's a mega, mega Twihard. She has a Twilight tattoo. What you may or may not know, depending on how many of her interviews you've read, is that when she wrote that song, A Thousand Years, she was actually, she was shown, I think, the wedding. So when you listen to the lyric, um, when I first heard the song, my joke was the title of that song should be called On the Nose, because literally every lyric describes a shot and literally as as the lyric ends you can imagine almost a cut into the next shot and it's so unbelievably on the nose to all of the sort of iconic shots in that wedding um and she wrote that song for the movie i think she probably um hoped that that song would be used under the wedding right there but because the lyrics the lyrical content in part was so unbelievably on the nose you couldn't possibly it would be like having a um someone narrating the shot or um for a blind audience if you listen to the lyrics underneath those shots they were so they were so uh, explicitly describing every shot in that wedding um and the other piece that was in there which is the instrumental version of um turning page sort of proved through a pro Bill's usual process of looking at things over and over and over and over and over again and trying endless variations and endless experimentation on putting, putting the footage together in a different way or putting the footage together with different, uh, different musical cues underneath the, the, uh, turning page instrumental version by sleeping at last proved to be just too, potent and resonant um and didn't as an instrumental piece um at least in that position there over the wedding walk up um didn't really call attention to itself and then comes back around obviously later in a in a uh, vocal reprise that is underneath bella and edwards um headboard breaking honeymoon but that's uh that's an interesting story about that christina perry song which for me has become like the great song of twilight well recorded that on Edward and Bella's anniversary, I believe. Is that true? Yeah. I think I read that in an article. Yeah. Wow. She is hardcore. She is. She's I as hardcore as Kristen Stewart. She realized it, and then she's like, oh my gosh, it's their anniversary. Wow. On That's a note about the Christina Perry song, it was released and told to the fandom that it was going to be part of the Breaking Dawn um, 
soundtrack before we saw the movie. We did right. not know where it was going to be in the movie or anything right. like that. But we, we the were first told. thing that was released was the official right. lyric video, which and I still love and just put on my Facebook Facebook right. wall, back on my Facebook wall, like a month ago. After I heard the Christina Perry song for the first time, I wasn't worried about Breaking Dawn. That's at interesting. All because yeah. I knew that music was picked for specific scenes and yeah. to meet emotional needs of scenes. Right. And after hearing that song, the first thing I thought was the wedding. And I could close my eyes, listen to that song, and go back to what I envisioned when I read the book. Right. So, therefore, knowing that Bill Condon had... Who knows a thing or two about music, music and movies. and movies. Yeah. Had released this song to the fandom as part of the soundtrack. Right. Whether it was in the wedding scene or not to me was not important. Right. What was important was the song did it. Right. It, it gave the story of the wedding in my right. head. Right. So therefore, if Bill could pick that song, which was so perfect. Yeah. And I by the mean, way, for the record, the first time we heard that song, when it came in, it sounded almost exactly like it does in, in its final form. And when you heard it, it was one of those things where you immediately knew it was a great song. Like immediately on the first listen, I wrote the wrote an email to the head of the to the head of marketing at Summit, basically going, "I mean, this Christina Perry song is unbelievably great." I wasn't worried though yeah. about the movie because yeah. if he could pick such a, an appropriate, well written song to depict in my mind one scene out of a yeah. book, yeah, that meant he got it, right, and that everything else was going to be perfect, right. And I wasn't disappointed, right. Thank you. And I think that behalf. with that, leading us into part two, I think with, with part one, there was that trepidation that, oh no, what is this new director coming in going to do with our beloved movie? And probably one of the books that <laughs> wasn't the best liked. And right. he turned it into By the some. best liked movie. And I am no long, I have no doubts that part two is going to blow us away. If anything, it, it has ramped up the anticipation. Are there any, um, well, we should go ahead and drop in the podcast. I said to you, as we were walking out of Hall H together, I said, well, Team Jack exclusive is one question that's going to be asked immediately. I'm surprised I don't already have a text message from Laura Cristiano at Twilight Lexicon. But one question that will be asked immediately is, what is the song in the opening scene as Bella wakes and sees Edward for the first time? And the answer is, um, I think the technical title is, it's going to be all right. Um, by uh, Passion Pit. Um, no, I think we'll be all right by Passion Pit. And as far as I know, that song is uh, locked in place. So if you liked it when you heard it in Hall H, if you're listening to this now and you liked it when you heard it in Hall H, um, you could probably look forward to owning that song via iTunes or CD. Was there anything for anyone here who... Um, was there anything that wasn't answered Uh on the panel that you're curious about that we can answer that isn't too spoilerific. Marisol, are you finally ready to step up I to the streets? So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just wanted to go back because for me, Twilight, it was a huge thing, huge thing. And Stephanie Mayer for me, is a big role. I totally agree. You're going to lose it again. It's okay. With Michelle. She's crying for being in the room right now. Earlier, so earlier in the podcast, you asked us to separate the fandom from the books. You can't. I think right. it's family. 
It's not, you know, it's not just fandom. It's family and every one of these women. Exactly. And Stephanie Mayer, well, I started a, um, a blog and for me it was like my create creativity. I started to think about me. I, I, I'm not old. I'm 27 years old. Right. But I have two kids. I'm married and I wasn't thinking like. It's okay. At this age, I was going to find some amazing people. I'm from Mexico, and I know I have ex extra attention from the girls for, because I'm trying. <laughs> they are trying to. <laughs> they are trying to. <laughs> Try to understand what I'm trying to say because <laughs> I'm trying to explain myself and everything. And I, when I decided, well, I wasn't thinking about going to the premiere. I was, oh, oh my God, that's amazing. And I, and I said, no, no, that's crazy. I have two kids. I'm not going to camp. I never thought about camping or anything. And then my hobby, my husband said, Okay, if you oh, want, Robbie. yeah. <laughs> and and he he said, if you really want to go, we can make it. And and then, well, like for me, it was a miracle that someone canceled to to Sharon. I gotta stay with them. I was like, I was only, I only met her some of the girls for a few months, and. By Twitter, I was a Mexican, I was a foreign girl, <laughs> and everything. And it was very important to me because they welcomed me so, so nice. They were really so nice to me. Do you want a bed? Do you need a this? It was incredible for me because I don't even met her. And, and this really... Marisol, I love you. I mean, you you saved up you saved up the goodness for the end. You were not talking. You were waiting to show us what you really had to say. That was amazing. Yeah, I'm sorry. This, this is more than uh, people think that is Twilight crazy teenage girl. Is more than that. M many of us, I, our mothers, who who I, I think mo for us we're like a f big family who loves each other, and we are more like a sisterhood and. We know that it won't be over here. For me, Twilight will be over, but the friendship will be there. So, <laughs> everybody's crying in this room. I'm I'm choking up. <laughs> and yeah, take a picture while they all cry. Exactly. <laughs> and I I really want. Many of us has husbands, and they are really supportive yeah. with us. Yeah. <laughs> really? Many, not all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I have an incredible husband. For me, is this is amazing because not not everybody of us who has family, kids, and husband, they are allowed to make all these kind of crazy things. Sacrifices. Friends, yes, it's a sacrifice for me to be here without one week without my girls who I miss so much. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Well, Twilight fandom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you might want to respell your name on Twitter so everybody can follow you. At Marisol S M M A R Y S O L S M. What word did you just spell? <laughs> there are letters in there that don't belong in Marisol. <laughs> I'm going to walk away from a very cheap and easy joke, Matt Cohen, that would demean you. I'm walking away. Um, we're over an hour. We're at like what? Almost an hour ten? And how quickly are we going to have this up on interwebs, Matt Cohen? An hour? Let me hang out in your apartment for about 20 minutes and an hour. Yeah, I have no internet. Okay. Um, I just want to hang out with you. Parting, parting thoughts for literally the last Twilight-related Comic-Con, Comic-Con 2012. We had the fan event last night. Obviously, there's been camping. Everybody arrived, um, set up their places. Um, I actually spent the night camping. I got two hours sleep. I just want to say I have photographic evidence of that last night. Let's not have any of those photographs (laughs) on Twitter or the official Team Jack Facebook page. but as I said to a reporter from the LA Times this morning who had actually heard it, she's like, is it true that you slept outside with the fans last night? <laughs> At which point I was like, oh shit, I should probably tell Bill. <laughs> um, so I sent him a text. I was like, just so you heard it here first. Um, but uh, as I said to that, as I said to that reporter, it's like, you can't, I mean, I think there's a part, I said to uh, my friends Adam and Eric and, um, Mark Gilpin, who all uh, made the pilgrimage down here with me yesterday, um, that uh, for me, I mean, obviously now for a couple of years, I've been very inside the Twilight fandom, but there's a part of the Twilight fandom that I think is incredibly significant. I think it's a big, large chunk of the fandom that as a as a guy let alone a gay guy, but just as a guy, I will probably never understand it. It's a, it's a chick thing. It's a woman thing. It's a female thing. Um, but if you want to get a little closer, three inches closer to trying to understand it, just sleep outside next to the train tracks, next to the, uh, and not light rail train tracks, not just light rail train tracks, freight train tracks running inexplicably through downtown San Diego between the convention center and a lot of the hotels. That all being said, all these ladies slept in like folding chairs and on the ground. You had like a fucking queen-sized air mattress, dude. It was better than the bed I slept in last night. Do not call me a queen, Matt Cohen. Not ever. That's thanks to Team Jack. Uh, What's that? (laughs) <laughs> many of uh, many of the team met uh, Sir Ian McKellen uh, the other night, and we probably shouldn't go into that too much. But needless to say, uh, by the end of the night, friends with Gandalf now, and that's that's really Sweet. what matters. He was wearing a Team Jack T-shirt, Team Jack buttons, and he was uh, that night. Yes, Team Peter, the nomadic fuck machine. Um, and late, both later that night and the next morning. He couldn't get enough of it. He was completely obsessed and did, for the record, as there will likely never be anything that comes of it beyond um, the simple, sweet, and yes, 
incredibly naive promise made. He did promise to get all of the Team Jack women back into Hall H on Saturday afternoon for the Hobbit Part 1 panel. (laughs) The promise was made. In all likelihood, the promise will not be kept, but what a sweet man. (laughs) Um, Parting thoughts? It's It's okay if we run over because... The only people listening to this by now are, t- are dyed in the world twihards anyway. So, um, and Greg Yolen over in London, trapped in Abbey Road, recording, I think, day two of, uh, of the score, which is uh, so far so good. Carter Burwell for the win. Who wants to start? Comic Con 2012. I think forever. None of the people in this room can't let us part without saying thank you to you. Yes. Because thank you. Um, thank you to all of you. It's been unbelievable. I'm taking them all out to lunch as soon as we wrap this. I, I just want to say that I think um, you said this before, Jack, that you Bill got the story, but you got the fandom. And yeah. I feel like being with you is just like, I know you're saying it's feminine, whatever, but being with you is like being with any of these girls. And being on this team has been the most special thing for me. And I... I just want to like piggyback on. Well, I always want to piggyback on Nicole, but that's a whole nother story. Um, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, it this has been one of the most. I mean, to be part of a fandom and to be able to be a part of this is like um, astronomically for me. Right. Just been indescribable, and I feel really special and lucky. So thank you. Well, the great thing is, as I, as Eric Odom and I always say to each other, and I don't mind, I mean, again, if you're listening by this point, we've all, I mean, Marisol especially, but obviously a lot of people have been sort of naked in their comments. It's like Eric and I, when we talk about it and the Twilight phenomenon and how it's sort of played its part in each of our lives, we are always, it, it's, again, it could sound like phony baloney Hollywood bullshit or whatever, but we're always cognizant of it. We're always grateful for it we're always totally grateful for it i'm gonna fucking that's so bad <laughs> anyway so um now i'm losing it for the record um eric and i are always always grateful for it the great thing about um about bill having gotten involved with breaking dawn is by the time bill got involved the studio had already sort of had lots of discussions with stephanie and lots of discussions internally amongst themselves and going, well, you know, we're probably, the novel is, what, like 758 pages, I think. <laughs> we're probably going to go ahead and need to split it into two parts. Um, I did have uh, journalist friends of mine ask me after they saw part one last fall, you know, did it really, does it really need to be in two parts? And it's like, yeah, 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 you haven't read the novel. You have no <laughs> idea. And when you see everything that's in part two, You'll get it. There's not, there, there's no money grab aspect to it, you know, on, which is, I think, a lot of people's, you know, very, um, honest, accurate reaction when they hear movies are, are perhaps questionably being split into two parts. Are they picking your pocket? Um, the great thing about that for Eric and I, but I think also for everybody in this room is that, um, we had Tent City last fall. We had Twy Tour in Century City, which they inexplicably call Twy Tour, even though that's just one convention. It's not really a tour. I never got that. But um, and then we had the premiere, and we had Twilight Tuesdays 
Um, we had the movies actually being shown during the how many camping nights? Four camping nights um, yeah. this year. I think it's not a stretch to imagine that unless everybody sort of collectively decides not to show the movies one per night to, to um, Camp Breaking Dawn Part 2, it's not a stretch to imagine that maybe there's going to have to be, now there will have to be four camping nights and then one move night and then the premiere. But again, nothing's nothing has been finalized as far as I know, but now we have Breaking Dawn Part 1 that's been added to the... Um, you know, added to the series or whatnot. The great, great thing is, it's like we had it all last November, and we get to have it all again next November. And by the way, we had Comic Con um, 2011. So it's like this isn't quite the end. This is we'll we'll get together and not to. I mean, everybody will will still weigh in here, but um, we'll get together and we'll do it all again in November. The thing that I w- podcast again. In the November. thing that I would like to stress is that everybody in this fandom has a different story of how they came to love this this book and this series, this saga. Right. Every person came in at different points in the saga. Either saw the first movie, read the book, then saw the movie, or things like that. But the important thing is we all ended up in the same place. We rediscovered who we were as individuals. Rediscovered parts of ourselves that maybe we had lost or buried or gotten pushed aside because of other big big things in our lives right. that we let take over. Right. And just because November is coming up and the last movie is going to be seen by this fandom, right. it's not ending because we as females and as individuals and as people have rediscovered parts of ourselves and we're not going to lose it again. And, and you've rediscovered, and you've found a community of people who have, through this one particular, again, it's a Cold Word franchise, another Cold Word is Brent, but through this particular saga, or franchise, if you will, it's always weird when you're hearing, like, 12-year-old actors use the, the word franchise, um, It's you've discovered a community of a fandom family of people who have gone through the same experience that you've gone through, through this particular thing of rediscovering those parts of yourself that have maybe been a little shreepy shreepy. Yes. I feel strangely part of the community and I haven't fucking read a word of any of the books. <laughs> I know, but I've you've been down here. The movies, but so. you've been down here for like two nights now. I've been visiting you, the ladies. You've been yeah. at Tent City or the, I do the my line, walk-bys. as we call it. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. Yeah, let's not talk about that. Um, so we'll talk about Matt Cohen in the emergency room for alcohol times. poisoning. It was a combination of food and alcohol. It was all the things. I was just poisoned, is how I like to think about it. Right. <laughs> I, I, they, they said, what's wrong with you? I went poisoning? <laughs> Comic-Con poisoning. It's that, it's that Twilight apple yeah. that Matt Cohen took a bite out of. A couple of drinks out of it, mixed with vodka. All right, enough. Does anyone have anything else as we wrap it up? I'm just going to say Comic-Con 2012, uh, Breaking Dawn panel, camping out, everything, all, being here with all, all of H. you, this experience. It's got to be one of the top ten experiences of my entire life. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Is that it? Is that it? That's it? All right. Episode thirty-eight of Team Jack. What a long there and back again. Or what's the what's the Hobbit part one title? There and back again. Well, I know, but well, that's what this podcast has been. I would say. All gonna say out. Okay. Well, so it's episode thirty-eight, Team Jack. 
uh, forever with a period, Matt Cohen. I got, I'm well aware of periods. Really? <laughs> You're in a room with... Uh... <laughs> I swear to God, I only found out in the last six months that they happen like once a month. Matt Cohen. One quarter of your lives? What the fuck? I thought it was like once every other month. This is a whole new podcast. We'll get to to that one day. Team Matt, it's just going to be awkward. All right. So, um, Team Jack, we will see you on Tumblr at Liz Lemon Bennett. What is our Tumblr address? Pass the mic. It is Team Jack for the win. On Tumblr. FTW. Team Jack FTW. Q&A Breaking Dawn related questions are answered uh, and the answers the, the questions are usually answered via our Twitter handle which is team underscore Jack where you can find virtually all of these women and their Twitter, ha- Twitter handles so that you can follow them um, the questions once answered the answers are put up on our blog uh, by Tracy do we get to say her last name no Olson Tracy Olson for the I. win you are missed um, at teamjack.com we're at Pinterest at, as Team Jack we're at Foursquare just kidding we're actually not at Foursquare yeah. <laughs> I'm the mayor of Team Jack yeah Sharon you want to do a shout out to all the uh, members in absence of and don't start crying Sharon I, it, I'm so far Kathy gone Kathy and at Caitlin this point. Banks who Eric and I met last week in North Carolina are Ashley. missing Kate, Nick, past mics so that everything's clear. Andrea, I miss Andrea, you. Andrea, baby. Oh, Andrea. And Kelly. You. Delta. Kate, Delta. Karen. Vanessa. Vanessa. I said, I said Ashley. We got Nikki. We love you Tracy all. Tracy Olson again. Jennifer. 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 Jamie. Yeah, Jennifer Rudder. Jamie's Jamie. not here with us today. Jamie and her mom are back in the Frankenweenie panel. And what the fuck? <laughs> How Tim dare Burton. they? How dare they? We got Kate. We got Kate and Caitlin. Or no, Kate Walsh, I mean, in Ireland. Absolutely. It's a long way from Tipperary. All our wayward duckies. I think that's it, right? So anyway, Google search Team Jack. You'll find us all over the place. And uh, you'll find me on Facebook as well. And I will accept your friend request. Um, episode 38 is out. Everyone is gonna, everyone on the, on uh, Team Jack wants to say out. So you ready, Matt Cohen? And then we're gonna go right to Chris Hogue's closing credit music. Three, two, one. Out! This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.